0: fire lab there and stuff like that well i'm actually a fairly recent emigre oh are you um, now from another state yeah well from another state into into delaware yeah i used to live uh and spent most of my life up in connecticut
1: oh connecticut gotcha yeah another one of the early ones (laughs) yeah you're a colonist through and through is what you're saying pretty much (laughs) yeah
0: oh yeah yeah that
1: definitely born and raised yeah yeah, I've I've always I've always uh yeah, I've always liked it. It's uh, and of course what everybody says, at least out here what everybody says is you got when if you going back east, you got to go in the fall. That's when it's beautiful.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Although it's funny. I I mean, I used to I had friends from uh from Denver come out to the east during when I was working and um and they would just marvel like it's so green.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <It's... laughs>
0: It's like you have trees. These are huge. This is so green. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's how
1: you get. The, you can only have leaves changing in the fall if you have leaves growing in the spring, huh? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Since yeah. that's yeah. not something we get much of out here in the West, it's all novel. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's very lush comparatively. It's it's very lush here. Yeah,
1: it, so. I, it it does get confusing. I mean, like in my in my younger days before I had traveled much more, just you know the the eye-opening experience of realizing that there are parts of the world where, um, like, plants grow spontaneously. Like, there's, <laughs> if there's dirt and water and, you know, seeds will fall there and stuff will grow where, you know, I'm used to having to toil to, and, and coax and haul water to can, to get anything to grow, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah. Of course oh, out well. there, and out there right now, water is a premium
1: product. Yes, <laughs> yes, sir, yep. Yeah. <coughs> Um, well, well, so if you grew up in Connecticut, like that's, that's a great place to start. Tell me about growing up and, and when you encountered bagpipes and, uh, how, how that all happened.
0: Sure. So I'm going to correct you. I actually didn't actually grow up in Connecticut. Well, take me even further
1: back then. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I started out as a, as they say, as a child and, uh, you did. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And, uh, I started actually, I was, I was born in Brooklyn, New York. My parents moved us out of the city. Uh, when I was like four years old, to an area just north of New York, about 30 miles, called uh, Rockland County.
1: Brooklyn's a and cool place to be able to say, it. you know, I'm from Brooklyn. That's pretty cool. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, Brighton Beach, you know. So I'm right in there with uh, little Woody Allen and all. But um, anyway, so uh, I grew up really just north of, uh, of New York City. And, um, it was a bedroom community for a lot of police and fire and FBI and you just, it, people, it was a bedroom community for New York City. And, and Ben, this is like the, uh, we're going down 1960s, 50s, early 60s. And, um, I was a Boy Scout and part of a Boy Scout troop. And the parents were, as I said, cops, tradesmen, blah, blah, working in the city mm-hmm. and, uh, they, they said, well, we want to do something with these boys, so let's let's do something special. And they said, well, we can start a drum and bugle corps. Nah, 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 done, been, done, been there, done that.
1: Not special enough.
0: N- no, no. <laughs> so a lot of them, oh, three of them actually, were part of the New York City Police Pipes and Drums, mm. Emerald Society Pipes and Drums. And they said, well, why don't we start a, a Boy Scout bagpipe band, because that's unique. It's never been done before. Well, to that point and hadn't been done before. Yeah. And um, so they said, great, great idea. So they started putting up lists, and they said, okay, boys, sign up. Who wants to be a drummer? Who wants to be a piper? I went, piper? What the hell is that? Yeah. <laughs> so I went, drummer. <laughs> drummer's cool. Yeah. And um, and out of a troop of about 60 kids, they, they had way too many drummers and not enough pipers. So... <laughs> They took every other name. True story. They took every other name and switched it to the other list. Did they really? The first lot- yeah, the first lottery ever lost. Um, <laughs> look at you now. <laughs> yeah, look at me now. So, uh, but that's true. And uh, but as a you know, little nerdy kid in mid '60s, it wasn't bigger than the other guys. Didn't have you know, the, you know, all the skills, and. Uh, so this was a, this was cool, and I got good at it quickly. Yeah. So that kind of became my reason for continuing on, actually. But we had this bagpipe band, Boy Scout bagpipe band, from like nineteen sixty six to nineteen sixty eight nine when we started graduating high school. Mm-hmm. And um, sounds and I, sounds that, like
1: it was kind of a bigger group too. It sounds like you got a lot of kids signed up.
0: We had about we had about at our height about fourteen boys. That's that's um, enough people and, to make a lot of noise. Yeah, and then we expanded. Actually, we were one of the first uh, co-ed organizations in the Boy Scouts. We had a color guard of, of, uh, you know, mixed mixed co-ed color guard.
1: It's kind of embarrassing to say as a member of the bagpiping community, but you were, in that case, one of the earlier groups that was also uh, letting girls into the pipe band, too. Oh, yeah. It's, it's oh, yeah. A, actually, my. Shocking my how long it took us to realize girls could play bagpipes.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and so, to your point, my my original instructor, a guy named Al Bosworth um, out of Teaneck, New Jersey, he um, he would come up and teach us. And then, as his business got busier, he had to um, cut back a little bit. So, he turned us over to um, a lady by the name of Lillian Lipchuk. So, again, she was actually Ukrainian. Um, in her, in her background, and just developed a love of pipes, as did Al. Al was Jewish, and he learned, he actually learned pipes from a gentleman in New York City, but it was an old Scott. He didn't want to teach him. Didn't mm-hmm. want to teach him. So it's like, you, know, you don't have, it's in the blood, you know, you don't have it, you don't have it. Mm-hmm. And he wound up camping out on his doorstep in, in apartment buildings in the Upper East Side of New York, Determine. Upper West Side of New York. And, um, Eventually, uh, Murdo Buchanan gave in and started teaching my instructor to play. But when, uh, but then he turned us over to this lady, Lillian Lipchuk, who um, took our band forward, uh, you know, in, the, in its later years. Like this is like sixty-seven, sixty-eight. Um, so yeah, yeah, we were ahead of all the curves.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's like all of the all of the uh, silly prejudices and and. Uh... And like the, uh, what do you, what do you call it when people, when like a group is insular? I'm trying to think of that. I guess just insularity, you know, like there were, all those walls were already being broken down for you, huh? That's
0: oh yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Actually. And, and, and I s- experienced it directly because I think the first time I went to compete, which was here, there that the time there was like a division, B division. So mm-hmm. I was in the, in the B division. There was, um, I won't say his name, but there was a, a, a judge, um, an older guy and he it was my first time, so I'm nervous, you know. You're a kid, you're what, fifteen at that point. Mm-hmm. Naturally. And, a very nerve
1: wracking <laughs> situation. When yeah, I'm a judge yeah. and everything, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, so you, you signed up in those days, you signed up on the field, and, you know, you put your name in front of him, and he goes, so what's your name? I said, it's Bruce Lazaroff. He goes, Lazaroff, what kind of name is that? I'm like, I'm so screwed here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah. <laughs>
1: he, he wanted to check your, your pedigree before you could even well, play. Well,
0: yeah, he goes, oh, well, uh, yeah, let's, let's see what you can do, play, you know, do, do what you can. And I was, like, already shaken, you know, I was, like, yeah. so I was like, like, Lazaroff, he goes, yeah. Because goes, oh, okay, well, fine. So I, pl- so I played. <laughs> And, and I did okay. I got through my tune.
1: Great way to and, start a kid off, though. Just be like, oh, darn. Well,
0: well <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you're not of the blood. Got yeah. it. Okay. So, um, but I was, I don't know, I had some real, I, I got really upset because we were there for the day for the band and everything. And at the end of the day, I, like I said, I, I I don't know what possessed me. I actually re-registered.
1: Oh, I'd like to play again?
0: Yeah, but uh-huh. I registered this time as Ian Bruce, Now, I'm telling you, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I use my use my middle name first and my you know first name it
1: sounds time. sounds pretty darn Scottish, Ian <laughs> Bruce.
0: You know what can't say I, you know, if you want vanilla, I'll give you vanilla. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, I played again and actually scored better. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> so so it's like, I at that point I hadn't I didn't compete again for about I think six years or something. I was so disgusted.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's interesting. Now I, I want to keep hearing the story, you know. So I don't mean to hop around too much, but of course, part of the reason I wanted to talk to you is about your your uh, eBelair, um, your e eBello. Which one do you call it right now? Is it has it changed or is it both?
0: No, 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 no. So the company is e eBello e dash Bello LLC. We we needed to create a you know something around the whole thing. Mm-hmm. The the product is the eBelair.
1: Ah, the, gotcha, gotcha. The
0: eBelair. Um, and that's basically electric bellows for air, you know, air. So, um, it just, the, the the reason I,
1: I I wanted to hop to the product for a moment, I do want to come back to your story. It's just that the, I wonder to what degree your early experience in, in precisely what you just described, um, might have, uh, saved you from getting trapped in the insular thinking yourself that like. I think we're all aware of it we it, it's it's kind of a silly thing that in piping and i think it's partly because of the military history that the that the competitive form of the the instrument playing has and stuff like that like there's this a really strong sense of there's only one right way to do it and it's always been this way and if you don't do it this way it's wrong i'm sure that you've met some resistance of people saying that's not how you play bagpipes you know this newfangled thing um without regard as to like how this helps people get into piping helps people who couldn't pipe otherwise pipe that kind of stuff um what 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 do you think do you think that if you had been uh, if your last name had been macintosh and you'd you'd just been like part of the in crowd from the beginning your mind wouldn't have even been open to the possibility of creating something like the the air
0: well so my early history and the creation of the Air are unfortunately not connected. I don't know. I don't think they're connected in any particular way other than it's more like who I am just as where I've developed as a, as a problem solver over Mm -hmm. the years and and how I perceive need. Um, because, um, you know, kind of again, skipping around a bit, my, my whole life has been basically a generalist. I mean, Mm. it, 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 it's all interesting kind of sums me up. Um, and in in that level of curiosity, kind of extends from everything from tinkering with electric circuits to carpentry to, you know, to, to, to the music. But it's been effectively, and I hate to say this, but I I'm true that old tinker guy, you know, and that's a terrible term, I guess. But you know, master of, of you know jack of all trades, master of none. Uh-huh, yeah. um, you know, true masters, like I, I just I'm always in awe of people who just like get into it and they just single-mindedly go for that i i can't sustain that i just can't so i'll get good enough to the point where it's like eh, look that's fun and then i move on to something else i'm Um, I'm
1: grinning ear to ear bruce because i can't tell you how many times i've been told in my life that i need to settle down and focus on something that that that, that that jack of all trades has been has been used on me by teachers since I yeah. was a little kid and it gets frustrating. Eventually you start going like, you know what guys, screw you, I'm gonna do what I want. And so it's just lovely to hear somebody else saying, like, it's okay to be that way.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I'm now uh, so I mean I've I've gone through my career, I've been forty five years in, in IT and and so here's here's the the, the reader's digest version. Mm-hmm. I when I went to college I, I originally went the intent of becoming a medical doctor but the first couple of years of school were not good Um, I discovered um, well it was the 70s and the 60s so late 60s 70s so you know what was going on there so I discovered a lot of things Mm. (laughs) all at once yeah and um, so nearly wrecked my GPA in in Short order, and spent the rest of my college career trying to rebuild that. But we to,
1: might say like you discovered other things, right? Yeah, <laughs> it was life, definitely
0: a learning experience. <laughs> truly, life, truth, beauty, and the struggle. You know that. Yeah. That's, so, um, but anyway, when I came out, um, I st- I went to graduate school, had degrees in biology, and in the seventies, you know, there was no work. So I went to teaching. I went from teaching, um, and discovered that you know that was when the computers were first. First, starting to come into desktop form, mm. and I started a, a lab in the school because I saw the need. Um, par- parlayed that skill into a job in the in the commercial sector, and have basically from that point point on, which was 1980, did 45 years of parlaying, um, uh, you know, parlaying my skills of problem solving. And the ability to pick up new things and learn and integrate them into a career, mm. which which just recently, well, I won't say ended, but that part of that, my career ended um, a couple of years ago where I was a, considered a, what they call an enterprise architect at a major uh, health insurance company. Health, health insurance company. Mm. So, um, you know, one thing leads to another, leads to another, you just sort of need to be open to it yeah and not and not worry the details because strangely every one of those stupid little steps along the way contributed to not only the creation of the ebelair but um other things that I wound up being involved in in terms of patentable mm. um software etc
1: you, you you can't see where it's all going to come together 20 years before it comes together but then it does come together huh
0: It's a journey. Somebody gave me the best information, the best advice I'd ever gotten, which was that your career is made of all the jobs you've held over your work lifetime. Mm -hmm. That's your career, you know. And the other piece of advice was security in this world is only as good as your ability to get another job.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That rings true. So, 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 so then, Bruce, maybe, maybe take me back again then, and and carry me through those years and how bagpiping was or wasn't uh, present as well.
0: Sure. So um, after after you yeah, know well high school, yeah. um, I went to Fordham. I joined uh, New York City Transit Police with my instructor. He was in, he was teaching them then, so that was kind of my. Um, going to school, playing bagpipes, just, and again, it was pretty casual, just as I was in that band. Um, after I got out of uh, college, I, um, I basically took a hiatus to to raise a family and, Mm -hmm. uh, moved from New Jersey to Connecticut. And then about 1988, um, got the bug to play again. Had you, had you
1: like been to a parade and heard some and thought, oh, I want to do that or did it just kind of come out of you naturally?
0: It it was just I've had my pipes they were crisping nicely in the, in the box <laughs> yeah. and, uh, um, and I just missed it you know yeah. I just I just missed it I, I kind you know you identify yourselves as yourself as certain things mm-hmm. and I always identified myself as a piper yeah well, a piper but I hadn't played and um, there were a couple of opportunities where I did play and, um, it, it was. <laughs> It was sufficient at best. Sufficient um, at best.
1: <laughs> you got noise out of them, huh?
0: Yeah, it got it got done, but it was embarrassing because I knew I could do better, and yeah. um, and I desired, I wanted to do better. So um, I joined the Manchester Pipe Band up in Manchester, Connecticut, and they were at, under the direction of a, um, an incredible guy uh charles murdoch chuck murdoch and and he was great he said well bruce i think we can do something with you um let's get started turned out i mean everything was wrong i <laughs> did everything backwards um it was just a, that was the tutelage i got he, yeah my, my instructor who i thought was like the bee's knees he just didn't have it all right either but yeah i don't fault him um it's just that, okay, you know. He, he at it, least was getting, getting something
1: done, right? He was at least planting seeds.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, where, you know, where's beat placement, grace notes, how they are, how they're truly played. Mm. Uh, by the way, did you really know that the beat falls on the E grace note of a turlua? It's like, you God. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, there was a lot to relearn. But I eventually got myself into shape enough to play with them in a grade two competition. Um, and, uh. And, and, and I was having a ball. But then life again intervened, so I had to kind of drop back a bit. So I've been in and out for years in like a lot of local bands. Mm-hmm. There was a Manchester Regional Police and Fire, which was a, 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 another band in Manchester, Connecticut, which is an interesting town because it had four pipe bands at one time. <laughs> this Four little in town one
1: town man that's
0: a... <laughs> well if you have the manchester pipe band which is the, one of the oldest bands in the country and then they have people inside who are um part of the british american club and then part of the irish american club and then you have the the service bands you wind up with people with um and that's another aspect of piping there's this whole social thing mm-hmm. and that's a two-edged sword mm-hmm. so um so there were rifts that occurred, and people split off. So you had the British American Club guys forming the um, Stuart Highlanders, which eventually became the Manchester Regional Police. And you had the um, Irish guys that going That seems up. only too fitting. <laughs> yes, Saint became St. Patrick's, because, I mean, these the Manchester Pipe Band practiced in the Orange Hall, really. Uh, <laughs> really? So, <laughs> so,
1: um, wow, I, that's a... It's almost like somebody planned it. It's so it's so precisely perfect.
0: <laughs> yeah, it just you know, but you you can't like I said, you can't make this stuff up. But when yeah. you look at it historically, it's hilarious.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, because from our perspective today, it's like you guys really got upset about stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway. Um. So then. Uh, so I've been pretty much in. I will say non. Non, well, a mixture of competitive and and more than street bands, but. Mm-hmm performance groups and it, the Manchester Regional Police under um, uh, uh, under uh, their their leadership was able to get us uh, an invite to the basil tattoo back in 2011 and in and 29 2009 to Fulda and again to st Gallens. so they were doing tattoos mm-hmm. and, and those performances and those perf- those performances and those trips I mean they were just magic. They were totally forming so
1: much fun, right?
0: Oh my god. Best fun you could have with yeah. your clothes on for two weeks. <laughs> so um, so anyway, on as part of my experience of people in Connecticut, made some really, really good friendships over the years. And um one of these was with a, a gentleman named and his brother, David and Ian Rankin, and um and that's really where the kind of the story of the Abelair kind of comes from, mm. uh, because David David's um, was diagnosed with with throat cancer back in um, you know 20, 2010. Mm. and um, and it necessitated the removal of his larynx to have uh, to get a cure to effect a cure. Mm-hmm. So um, I mean that just. Obviously, just ends your bagpiping career right there.
1: Right, and like you mentioned, for for a lot of us, like you identity you, you become—it's so much a part of you, right? And so I could imagine that would have been really hard for him.
0: And and, and to to kind of focus just a little more on that, um, his father emigrated from Scotland as as a piper, mm. um, played in the regiments for years. Um, came over as a piper. He's taught his two boys to be pipers. Um, you know, he they just went through their whole lives with piping as as a showpiece, as a centerpiece to that to their lives and their connections to one another.
1: So this is a lot of things for him. It's yeah, probably memories yeah. of his father at this point, and connection to the oh. family, and all that kind of stuff.
0: But his his whole psychology was. Was shocked. I mean, yeah. he, he just he became he became very depressed. You know, and, understandably. And, and there's only so much that electronic bagpipe devices, um, even small pipes, can um, can substitute for for what you are used to doing. I mean, he loves small pipes. He plays small pipes, but you don't parade with small pipe.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, you yeah.
0: you don't go you you don't do a lot of the things you do with socially with a small pipe that you do with the with the full
1: right. So much of what pipe. you can do with the small pipes is more by yourself in your kitchen. <laughs> Not
0: correct. Correct. Not that it has
1: to be that way, but that's the way it is, you know. It's uh,
0: Yeah. It yeah.
1: So um, you, You've introduced and, a new anxiety for me too, Bruce. I'm used to being terrified of losing my fingers. Now I'm terrified of having something go wrong with my lungs and throat, too. I hadn't even thought of these things. Now I've got a whole new set of nightmares to have.
0: Anything I can do to help. <laughs> yeah. But but here's the thing. I never introduce a problem I don't have a solution to. So hey, there hard. we go. <laughs> so so anyway, um, so I'm in the hospital with his wife. He's recovering from the surgery, and the two of us are crying. Yeah. And um, he's. She, I looked at her, and I said, oh, look, I was I like, don't know how, I don't know when, but there's got to be a way to get David back up and playing Pipes again. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where the story lay because I was still working. You know, you only have so much bandwidth in a day. I can't believe it's six o'clock or seven o'clock, wherever you are. Um, <laughs> and um, You
1: can have more bandwidth if you force it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we did we all did but you know yeah. you you are sitting there now saying I uh, I I put what I can to this thing so the th- the th- development and the thinking if you will the thought experiments that led to a solution really started back in twenty ten mm. and it was only oh let's see I mean I was down I was going down some really fun play things like. Uh, how about heel-mounted pumps?
1: <laughs> okay. And then, like as you walk, that's what gets them going.
0: <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, no, that's okay. pretty cool. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. The other one was um, aqua it's like tanks. The, the other one was what? It was like um, scuba tanks on a trolley dragged behind you? Oh, okay, yeah. You know, um, let's hook like, okay, it to
1: your back belt loop or something, so it'll just go along with you. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, and then, uh, yeah, so there were so some definite things about how do you control the air and how do you manage it and all that. Yeah. Um, so, o- over the, but it led to, you know, again, I'm an XIT guy, so it led to specifications, things that, things that this solution needed to certainly have. One of yeah. them was it needed to be light and portable, it needed to be able to support a three, you know, a, a normal start, two, three-piece rolls. Um It needed to be able to um, sustain sustain the pipes for a a reasonable amount of time, so you could play a parade or a performance. Mm -hmm. Um, And it needed to be um, yeah, it 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 needed to be uh, powerful enough to be able to manage decent tone out of the instrument. Yeah. So um, so that kind of led to a couple of things about. Four years ago? No, it wasn't it that long? It was Twenty-two. So about three years ago, I found this crazy ad for a kayak inflator. Hmm. And I bought it because it said it could. It said it could put it could put up to twenty pounds pressure. And I'm like, well, I know I don't need twenty pounds pressure, but let's oh, see. Oh, that makes
1: can... sense. You, you, an inflated kayak, you do need to be filled pretty darn tight. So
0: yeah, that but sense,
1: that'd be a, yeah.
0: Yeah, so it needed to have pressure, but it also needed to have enough volume to be able to to play the yeah you know, to run the pipes. And so I did some some quick studies and figured out how that a bagpipe really only needed about about point eight psi, point nine psi to operate, and um, so that wasn't so big a deal. But you, you know, know it needed to move Bruce, out.
1: that actually kind of kind of deflates. Ha 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 my ego a bit. I, I would have liked to think that what we were doing was harder than that. <laughs> That's less PSI than I, than I would have boasted, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's still, it's still a challenge it's to still get something, right? <laughs> well, to get a device to generate that kind of pressure. Yeah. And, and the one other criteria I didn't mention was it, it can't sound like a jet engine.
1: Ah, uh, of course, yeah. You know, <laughs> you like your fourth drone going, right?
0: <laughs> or, or yeah, it it really had to be quiet enough to be able to um, to not detract from the sound of the instrument. Yeah. Um. So, uh, there. <laughs> so there were. I did a lot of kind of looking around, and and some of these devices were close. And cool. I actually developed my first model of this thing using one of those inflators. Basically, I hijacked the whole thing, and uh, you know, rewired the, the the sneakers off of it, mm-hmm. and uh, and submitted and. But it got me to the point where I figured out the control mechanism that it would function. It was more of a an advanced prototype than a real production model. Yeah. So, um, and that led me to realizing what I needed to find, and I was able to. I was able to find manufacturers of the components that um, that basically led to the device I have going today.
1: And while you were kind of thinking through things and even trying stuff out, were you updating your friend, or was this more going on in your head, and you weren't gonna bring him, you know, weren't gonna bring him anything until you knew it worked, kind of?
0: Um, it was the second. Yeah, Yeah. I had the first. What I called the model one was really the first. Like I said, advanced prototype that was fully functional. Mm -hmm. The biggest problem it had was um, the air control wasn't really robust. It was adequate, Um, and the amount of the amount of uh, pressure it could generate was like right at the edge, the tipping point of of the reeds, you know. Mm. So the the lower um, tipping point. Yeah, Yeah, I got you. Yeah, it, it was like it had to be a full battery. It had to be, you know, mm. right there. You had to be playing a really, really comfortable read. And, um, there was just almost no, there was just no playroom, you know? Yeah. It was, gotcha. And so, um, it was just, it, it, it was just too much at the edge. So, um, I went back to the drawing boards, found some other some materials and actually found better pumps, better pump motor, um, better control systems um, denser batteries and so the new one and is has a full variable control of the air pressure from zero to a max of about 35 inches of water mm. which is which is I'm telling you I don't play blowing I don't play a read much harder than 30 mm-hmm. a- and um, so that was fine that, gave, that had that a little bit of you know a little Top end room for you. Mm-hmm. Um, it also is fully variable, like I said, so you can adjust it minutely as needed, because everybody's instrument's different, you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the uh, and the final thing was the uh, it was portable. It was only it all weighed in at about four pounds.
1: Yeah, that's that's one thing that's been really impressive to me. It's just like looking at the models of it and stuff is is just it's remarkably small. And four and a half pounds especially hanging on a strap over your shoulder that that's not that's not painful
0: no no that 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 was worked out really really well and that was of course a bit of a journey as well because um, I actually had the <laughs> team I, I, I listened to your your interview with David Stanley nothing I I'm oh yeah. Happy, yeah I'm happy to plug happy to plug his stuff because he and I talked actually offline I called him up based on your interview and um, because I had to teach myself 3d printing
1: oh yeah of course yeah
0: because I as I said I knew what my design was I knew how I wanted this to look and I could not find an enclosure for the mm, components mm. so um, yeah 3d printing to the rescue oh man I, I'm, I'm a believer I mean it, it took a while certainly to teach myself it but but again, that goes back to like, so I'm pre-adapted to do that stuff because that's what I've done my whole career, right? And and it was just a matter of like, okay, sit down. I am a total believer in YouTube. I, oh yeah, YouTube University YouTube of for, YouTube. That's right. Oh my God, YouTube <laughs> forever. Um,
1: you want you want to know a funny story just about like just what it's like to watch the times change? My oldest son, um, we he was probably like. Ten years old, when we bought our first paper printer, we would just use, like, the local print shop when we needed, on the odd occasion, we needed to print something on paper. But we had had a 3D printer in the house since he was, like, oh, let me, quick maths, I can't, I'm not sure exactly, but probably, like, three or four. And uh, it, the word printer, or to print things, it became clear to us when he heard people talking about it, if it came up in conversation and stuff, his assumption was 3D printing. And the paper printer that we bought was <laughs> such a novelty to him. He thought it was the coolest and craziest thing that you could just, like, print a coloring page. It was blowing his mind. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Oh, yeah. That was, he, was, he, was, he, he didn't know any different. His world was printing means prototyping or, or, you know, like I'd print him little toys and stuff like that. That's what printing meant to him. Isn't that, isn't that crazy?
0: Yeah, yeah, and you're talking to a guy who basically started off with a television where the screen was like six inches across. Is this weird <laughs> or what? Right, yeah. is this is
1: the same kid that like not to go too far down the rabbit hole, right? But like when when we went to my parents' house and he held it when he was a little baby, and we handed him a cordless phone just for fun because he was like just you know a little baby wanted to play with something. You know, cordless phone. It was one of these that had like a ton of buttons on it, and then it's a, a small like caller ID readout at the top. He takes his little baby finger and starts poking at the caller ID readout at the top, because of course he He's only touch knew touchscreens. He didn't know physical buttons. He didn't know those would do anything, so he had no interest in them.
0: Oh God! You've, Isn't you've that seen weird? that? Have you seen that YouTube where they gave some, they gave these kids a, a rotary dial phone? <laughs> no, nope. I
1: can just about imagine it though. Oh, it's, it's
0: it's it's hilarious. If you can find it, I recommend you find it. It's like. It, it, along the same lines yeah. it is absolutely they, they said please dial this number
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> <looking at> it. <laughs> hello friends just a quick note to make you aware this podcast is something that I love doing and I will keep doing it no matter what but if you want to send me money I won't say an A the easiest way to do that is through Patreon just go to patreon.com slash droningonpodcast we do regular drawings for bagpipey albums books, sheet, music and more including droning on swag all patrons are in the figurative hat from whence the names of winners are drawn, and there are other benefits to members as well. They're all listed there at Patreon.com/droningonpodcast. And speaking of swag, another way to support the show is to buy cool stuff from my little online shop, BagpipeSwag.com. There you can find Droning On stuff as well as other pipey and drummy things that my uh, that my friends and I make. And if you feel so inclined, I genuinely invite you to follow the show on Facebook. It's super fun to have a way to interact over there, uh, to discuss past episodes, and I also uh, like to bounce ideas off of of you, my friends, Uh, ask you for input on upcoming interviews, that kind of stuff. Uh, I'd like to invite you to join in on virtual book clubs and uh, probably lots of other cool stuff that uh, I just haven't even thought of yet as of this recording. It's easy to find. Just get on Facebook and search Droning on Podcast." And if Instagram is more your jam, we're also on there at droning.on.podcast. You can also email the show at thedroningonpodcast at gmail.com. And links to these sites, social media accounts, and more are in the show notes. Leaving the show a positive rating and review helps others to find it, so feel free to do that. And thank you again for listening, you cool human you. Yeah.
0: So anyway, um, So you so love my- 3D printing, because so it was right on, man. Yeah, so I learned 3D printing, which create, and I'm still doing that. As a matter of fact, i because the, there's still improvements I want to make on it. So yeah, so so the Ebel Air actually today consists of like three parts. Um, it's the pump, which has the electronics for uh, the remote operation, um, you know, the wireless uh, receiver, mm. and uh, the the speed controls for the motor and the motor itself and the battery. So that's all compacted into that into the the box
1: i didn't realize it was wireless you know looking at the model where it's got the air the air hose you know to go from the pump into the blowstock, i assumed that you'd run wires through that as well
0: nah this is this is 21st century man that's right
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, i got i gotta catch up even in
0: my that's, thinking here that's a 50s that's 50s thinking 1950s thinking. yeah oh that's cool um, man yeah so it's, it is wireless and um the the wireless control head, if you will, um, is what looks like a blowpipe, mm-hmm. and that just that attaches to the hose, which of course goes into the blowstock, the blowpipe stock, blow stock, and um, so that becomes the you know a fairly integrated unit that at least mimics the appearance of a normal blowstick.
1: And, and the experience for the piper, where they they do the puff of air to start it. That's uh, I like that. That's rather than hitting a button or flipping a switch, it just feels so natural yeah
0: exactly exactly and that was another thing it had to operate like a regular bagpipe you, mm-hmm. so, so you can effectively start and stop um your pipes um under a 3 pace roll you know, right command. you gotta have your strike-ins and your clean cutoff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and so um so it 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 behaves really really well and very predictably um the the uh the, and the batteries are replaceable i'm using uh, standard well i'm using milwaukee style uh, lithium batteries and they just simply pop out plug another one in and you're off and you're off and going again so it, that,
1: that was one thing too i thought was so delightful just as i was looking at the pictures of it and like trying to imagine using it like initially i thought oh that's interesting like it's handy cuz it's a it's a battery form that is like has been being manufactured for a while so it's readily available so like it makes sense for those reasons but then i thought to myself what if i was like in a parade or something using this like compared to an internal battery that would need to be charged where you can't swap it out or even compared to like a camera style battery you know that would be a lot harder to grab hold of this is like it's it's it seems to me like this would be the easiest thing it's something you can grab onto you can pop out the old one pop in the new one and keep going a lot more quickly than other other kinds of power sources, um, was that in the thinking for why to do this, or was that just a convenient, um, side, side effect? No, that was
0: absolutely the part of the thinking. That was, yeah. That, yeah, it had, because I knew that the bat, one battery, well, you know, batteries, batteries fade, you know, yeah. and, uh, and you needed to have the ability to either stop and plug into a wall or mm-hmm. conveniently park car or, um. Or just pop a new battery in. And the batteries are small enough. The lithium batteries. These are 6 amp hour batteries. And and they can get about 30 minutes of play out of out of a battery. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much continuous. So if you're at a band. My friend has been using this at band practices. And he starts, well, you know, I... I have to use a second battery at band practice. I'm like, well, yeah, you're at band practice if he's if you're and I know parade. you're I know you're pipe major, so you're playing your butt off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: some people so, band practice maybe he'd be okay, but not that one, huh? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, but if you were doing a regular parade, um, that one battery could very well suffice getting you through a one or one and a half mile parade because you're yeah. you know how that goes. You play a set, you stop. You walk. Right. You walk a block. You play a set. You stop. So. Um, and that was my goal again. You, I wanted to be able to enjoy, parading again without, yeah. you know, without being burdened. Um, so. I'm also so,
1: having fun imagining him with like one of those like uh, like Emiliano Zapata style like uh, ammo belts across his chest of drill <laughs> <the> <laughs> batteries. Drill so batteries. He, yeah, just pop it out and throw in another one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Actually, though, there's a. Um, I just found um, there is th- available. Um, so I'm getting a six-hour battery, six amp hour battery. So there's a nine-hour amp hour battery. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so, more power. <laughs> yeah, man. More power. I guess that's something that's
1: only likely to get better all the time, too. So
0: Yeah, and, and again, that was one of the technology advances that kind of made this possible because, mm. you know, like I said, technology just all of a sudden let, like, snap. And mm. these things just were like, okay, that's here, and now that's here, and I have that control unit. So, um the answer... I don't want to say it was intuitively obvious, but it became, when I assembled it kind of on my bench just for the first time, just to see if these pieces would work together, it was it was like, holy crap, this is going to work. Mm. That's, <laughs> so, that's
1: a beautiful moment, you know, when those, those aha things suddenly slip together, it all clicks kind of thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was. You don't get a lot of those in your life. I'm, I'm, yeah. I have to say I'm very fortunate that I've had a couple, but the... Uh, but this one has sort of been very much the most satisfying, and, and, and because of it, I don't sleep because I'm constantly thinking of ways to improve it. Mm,
1: yeah, <laughs> you enjoying retirement <laughs> like working <laughs> more than ever. You know what?
0: That's that's not a lie. I mean, <laughs> I, I was worried about being bored. Well, solve yeah. that problem.
1: Yeah, <laughs> problem solved. Uh, it, it it there's there's a part of this that that I feel like is. Um, Maybe it's like a generally applicable principle. I don't know. Maybe this is silly. You tell me, Bruce. But it seems to me like I've heard before as I've run in like songwriting circles, you know, uh, like uh, people who who write music for themselves or for other people that if you want to write a really good song, sometimes a really good strategy is to make it really specific. You know, you don't necessarily have to make the lyrics so spe- specific that a person could hunt down the town that you're talking about in your, in your song, right? But if you've got a really specific place, person, experience, et cetera, in mind, write a song about that. And it's amazing how generally applicable it will be. Um, whereas if you try to write a, a song that's so generic that you think everybody will like it, you know, then it's maybe not going to hit quite as well. And it just seems to me like not only was there a very specific person in mind, you know, for this, for this, uh, the application of this product, there, there, there was also like, it it was a, uh, an emotionally laden situation as well, you know? And, uh, I don't know, it just, it, it just, it swirls around my head a little bit, just, just like, uh, would there have been, like, first of all, you're the generalist, so where, like you say, your experiences throughout decades lined up to make it so you could tinker and figure this out. Not everybody would have been in that situation, and then the second part is, there was, like, real emotional drive. Like, there was a, r- a real reason to get this thing made. Um, that wouldn't have experienced, like, maybe there are people in the world who would have been qualified to make this, but they wouldn't have been motivated to, you know? And so the motivation lined up with the qualification, and, and then it all, it all came together. It's a, it's a lovely thing when, what, what is that, serendipity? Is that serendipitous?
0: Yeah. Is it fate? Kism- what is Kismet. It? Something. Kismet. Kismet. <laughs> Kismet. There you go. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah there was the, yeah, there was all of that in, involved in this. But um, as I said, initially it was just to try to to, to help a good friend of mine, and that was yeah. it. And and of course, once this thing came together, you know, she who must be obeyed. No, no, my <laughs> my, my, my loving wife. And no, this seriously, just she said, "Bruce, you are going to get this patented." And I'm like, "Oh come on!" I just wanted this. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. You're, you're getting we're getting this patented. So she's been kind of driving, uh, trying to basic to get this a protected the idea protected, mm-hmm. and then um, and then to, to to set this up as a business to see if others could be could be helped, you know, or or this could serve others, and um, and I have to say, you know, this last year we just finished our first year officially in business, um, and. I told her, I said, well, we're just going to do this and see if we have, if there's even a market out there for this, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, if there's any interest at all. And, and there has been, I, I, I laid in enough parts and components to build, um, to build a dozen of these things. And we've done that, Nice. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's a shoestring kind of thing, I guess, but, um, it's, it's totally a niche. Let's face it. This is not <sighs> this yeah. is a niche folded inside of another niche. Exactly, sure. <laughs> you know. Exactly, you know. This is the product that you know nobody ever wants to need. Yeah, yeah. But
1: man, if they do, like, so, so happy that it's available, right?
0: Well, I, th- I think, yeah. Again, if you need it, it's there. And, yeah. And and that's that's important, exactly, because otherwise. You, uh, okay, otherwise you, where are you you're left with um you're left on the sidelines period yeah. you're left with electronic um simulations and and I, and they're good i mean i love rolf yos know, red pipe and, and yeah it's very
1: cool and that blair chanter does some amazing things too it, exactly i've got a glencoe chanter here that i use for practice and when when my kids and, and wife can't stand it any longer and you yeah. know yeah. yeah those, those things had, are for sure important for sure
0: yeah yeah and when i was traveling i had my figure strong with me old techno pipe with me all the time yeah. and yeah. you know um so but they're they, they they're good and they're they're good but they're not playing the bagpipe you know there's that whole yeah. physicality there's that you know damn that reed yep. moment and hooray that reed moment yep. and um you know, learn tuning and all the sensibilities and all the socializations. I mean, it's 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 a completely different thing from playing playing the instrument, socializing with the instrument. You know, watching the audience respond to the instrument mm-hmm. um, versus playing. You know, in your in your apartment or in your house um, on electronic, even yeah. So yeah. It I I really think it has it has value for those who value the experience.
1: Yes. Well and it's like maybe because of the the specific reason you were initially developing it, you know, the first things that come to my mind is like the the person who has been playing pipes but then a a medical issue or, or just getting old or something makes it so they can't inflate that bag anymore, this comes into play. But it also occurs to me that there are people in the world who have the the situation where they can't blow up and sustain a set of bagpipes for whatever reason, whether they're born with something that makes it hard for that to, to happen, or if they have an accident or something, right? This makes it like they wouldn't. It wouldn't have been an option for them. This becomes an option, you know. So there, there's and, and there, there's also like I it seems like a good teaching tool, you know. I. Uh,
0: Great, great segue, absolutely. I,
1: I, I know that I hear people complain all the time. I there's this guy who does uh he does uh oh now suddenly I, he was on the show now suddenly I, my mind is blanking on the name of the of the the Facebook group but he does like um, annotated bagpipe sheet music to help people who are new to piping and also new to music to kind of help them get a feel for it. It's like color coded and it's got the names underneath the notes and stuff, and it's surprising. How many of our own try to tear down an idea like that? You know, like, oh, if you're not going to learn the right way, then don't learn at all, you know? And it's like, do you want the art form to die? You know, like, let's break down as many barriers as we can. And this seems like another one of those tools where... It's surprising, but I wouldn't be, at the same time, I'm not surprised to imagine that there are probably some people who would say, no, no, you got make to the, make the kids suffer. You know, that's the only way to learn bagpipes. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, Yeah,
0: what? yeah. if you haven't been on a practice channel for a year, you're absolutely wasting everybody's time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, well, put to your point, I have, I, I have several students, and the transition to the pipes is all often a challenge, mm-hmm. for, and, and, and people learn differently. And people's yeah. aha moments come differently. So, so I had this one student who was struggling with with bag control. Well, as it turned out, I put them on the Ebolair because first of all, they kind of lost their lip in like early part of the lesson, and it's like, well, you know, what do we do now? So yeah. I throw the Ebalair on our bagpipes, and um, and do I get in trouble for being gender specific here? Never mind. Anyway. Um, i i threw i threw the uh the babel air on there bagpipe ex- you know filled up got it got them settled solid tone got her l- listening to the drones and how they blended together so that you could hear and she's a musician and she was like oh well i didn't mm-hmm. know that okay yeah. now what does it feel like under your arm Because the the pump is blowing it up, it's got a full feel. It's got a full. I she goes, oh well, mine never feels like that. I said, I know because you're not putting enough air in. I keep saying, blow harder, not blow harder, but blow more. And you're thinking, blow harder, and it's it's not that. It's this is managing your energy going into the instrument, not brute force. It's not that. But anyway, the Ebelair gave her the goal. Right away, you
1: know. Yeah, because now she she knew what it was supposed to feel like and supposed to sound like, and now she knew she what she was going for instead of like wandering in the darkness, as it were, and hoping to discover <laughs> right.
0: it. Right until one day, it's like, oh, okay, that's what yeah. it was. Uh, so so yeah, that really helped her. And again, that was maybe her modality. You know, I don't want to generalize too much, but you know, it it was very effective for her. And it was another having a couple of other students who are similarly placed, are elderly. Uh, people learning the pipes and this is giving them an opportunity to play longer and get enjoyment out of that investment of time and energy and learning yeah because tr- trust me learning a new instrument as an older person is a is a whole different beast um, but the you know but but now they're finding their success as well so the value you know is it worth the money yes. Absolutely, it's worth the money. If you're looking for to get the value of experience that you perhaps you can't physically generate right now, but will grow into. Mm-hmm. So, so that's um, you know over time. So, it's it's a great tool that way. I use it for teaching tuning. <laughs> and, and, oh and, sure, yeah. And drone calibration, I throw the throw that on the on the pipes, and we can then with the manometer in the in the drone to say, okay, your channel your read right now is at 30 inches of water. Okay, I want your drones calibrated so they all shut off together at 32. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they, they, they just all snap off and that way you're not dealing with a blaring drone that's sucking all your energy. Yeah. So so I'll put I'll put it on I'll cork up the channel stock, put the Ebolair on pop up the pressure to 30 inches of water, and then lean on the bag. And at 32, that drone should go off. Mm-hmm. If not, make an adjustment. Move on to the middle drone, move on to the base drone. And at the end, I should have a whole set of drones calibrated to pretty much shut off at the same time at about 32. And I didn't have to put my mouth on their instrument. I didn't have to right. do... it didn't contaminate them with you know, or get contaminated by them because that's another consideration in these days.
1: Well, and they and they get to see it too. Like, like if you were putting your mouth on the instrument, it's hard for you to describe what's going on while you're doing it. And if they're blowing up the instrument, it's hard for them to pay attention while they're yes. doing it. You know, you yeah. kind of can kind of quiet the noise in a way um, and make it so you can focus on what you really want to focus on.
0: And, and that's exactly it. It's It becomes a function of, Doing things in an orderly, systematic way, which I think, uh, you know, Andrew Douglas is a great proponent of doing. Yeah. You know, so I think this again enhances our ability to teach this the instrument and demystifying. That's a good word, demystifying some of the uh, the more arcane parts of this art.
1: Which there are plenty there's, there's plenty to demystify for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, it makes a lot of sense because, like, I, I think about like when I when I the I of course I probably most pipers do remember the first time that I blew up a set. You know, it was in my in my teacher's basement, um, old blowner set there. You know, smelled terrible. You know, and just but also just like how hard it was. You know, and my my teacher really great teacher, really great teacher. You know, she was telling me like things to focus on. You know, and things to think about and things to improve. But you know, honestly. As, I was so focused on just trying to keep stuff inflated and squoze and making noise and stuff, you know, like I couldn't think about what she was telling me, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, it becomes a uh, much more just like a physical survival experience rather than a, 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 a you know, fine touch musical instrument kind of experience and And so then, like, I don't know, it it just seems like you have to persevere through that until you can get, like, your body under control before you can start, like, thinking about these finer things. And so, you know, something like this makes it, that that perseverance period is a time when maybe some people, you know, quit. And we don't want people to quit. We need more people playing pipes. Got to keep this stuff alive.
0: Yeah, especially when you have people who are really good with fingering and then they get to the pipes and it just seems like they just fall back to the sub-basement. Yep. And and they get frustrated and I'm trying to eliminate that frustration and and still provide them strong skills. Because once they get on the pipes and they're blowing, you know, we're using manometers all the time to try to, you know, to say, well, you know, you saw it, you are so with the able air, that's the number you want to put yourself at and you want to stay there. Mm-hmm. And they say, but I can't, well, I can't keep it that steady. Well, yeah, well, you're not electronically, you don't have a battery plugged in you, so you know, deal with it. Um,
1: Yet, (laughs)
0: yeah, yes, Yes. Yes. (laughs) yeah, no, I ain't going there. Um, but the uh, yeah, it's it's turned out to be a very, very valuable tool to for me teaching pipes, and I I have a small band up here as well. That, um, you know, getting people to who are in trouble kind of get them out of trouble by diagnosing what they need to do. Mm -hmm. Um, oh. One other thing. So, um, I'm now using the at the band, here, since we're on that one, to select reads, chanter reads. Oh. Yeah, well, COVID, you know. Um, right, yeah. I've... Well, I mean, we're all real sensitive to to, infection these days, whether it's COVID mm-hmm. or flu or whatever. And, you know, we've... we <laughs> How many... I mean, it, it was just given if there's something wrong with somebody's reed on on parades you pulled up that chan you stuck it in your mouth made an yep. adjustment put it back in right yeah that, that was just the way it was done and if and there's
1: something really wrong with it you might even lather up a bunch of spit to shove through it on purpose
0: <laughs> you could it's been hurt i've heard that's been done yeah yep. <laughs> so so um no more so i uh, what I, what we do now is I have, uh, I'll take the Abelair. Um, I will have some, have wipes for the, for the, the, it's, it's waxed hemp. So Mm -hmm. I just wipe that down, plug it into their, into their blowpipe stock. Fine. Do kind of a feel for where their instrument is, where, what read they, they need. Yeah. And then if they're playing about, you know, take 30 inches of water, um, I'll go to my supply that I've checked out in my pipes and labeled 30 inches of water and give them one of those reeds. And, mm. if it, and they're usually already checked out, so we're good. Um, but it effectively removes the, the mouth blowing from, uh, from, the, from the equation. Now, of course, if they, if they for whatever reason, um, contaminate the reed, uh, well actually as soon as it goes into their instrument it's contaminated i'll then take the read out and, and bring it home in a separate container and then s- you know, sanitize it in some everclear or something
1: mm-hmm. yeah but but that's w- once again it's it's a it's a tool that kind of removes variables that makes it possible for you to focus on one thing so then you can yeah. have your reads categorized like you know like i've also gone through like a pack of new reads and just with my mouth blown on them to try to get a feel for like and then like you know I lay them out in like a range of like alright the hardest ones are to the left and the easiest ones are to the to the right and so that's how I'll hand them out you know to the new players they get the ones from the right and the old players get the ones from the left you know but that's not very precise you know and especially after doing even a short little test on 12 reads is your 13th and 14th and 15th read is my perception of how hard that is going to be as accurate as my perception on the first second and third probably it's, not right <laughs> so, exactly
0: exactly this become this makes this a whole Lot more of a repeatable process and yeah. a lot more precise and consistent. Absolutely. I gotta remember that one. That's a good one. <laughs> You're right. Let me,
1: I'll write you a blurb, man. <laughs> all
0: right, all right. Author, authorial treasure gets
1: Yeah. Good. 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 But, well, um, well, yeah, what, what else do would you – is there anything else that comes to mind about the product itself that you'd like to share? We're, we're, I, I only ask I, – I don't mean to rush you in any way. Just we're getting close to episode length, you know, so if you oh. if you do have other things. we can And we can talk for a lot longer too, so just what else?
0: No, that's fine. Um, yeah, no, so there's a couple of things in the, in the works. I actually have, um, you know, more power. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: more power.
0: Yeah, there's. A, I have a new. I have. A, I found another pump motor that I want to tinker with. Your
1: um, your aspirations of power are far more like the benign and <laughs> pleasant than some people's. I, I know.
0: Yeah. I guess. But anyway, you know, you know, more more pressure, more more fun. I don't know. sorry yeah. uh, So anyway, there's that. This this work on the pump itself. Um, actually, where I'm right now is I'm making. Uh, some incremental improvements on the hoses, on the connections, and the uh, the wireless control unit. Right now, is limited to a puff. Um, mm-hmm. I'm in uh, this year, twenty twenty-three. We're going to introduce a version of it that allows you to do a sip. Oh, term- gotcha. To, yeah, so it's a puff or sip um, to get the activation, and the third thing is um, a bite switch. For people who mm. are, are, you know, even uncomfortable with that, so you can just get a little little nip, and uh, that's a nip on the on the bulb, not more <laughs> commonly. There right, me. I got um, you. Yeah. So, <laughs> so hey, yeah.
1: if you if you want to keep increasing uh, accessibility, <laughs> there might be someone out there who needs that. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little nip with every bite. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, so it'll be a small bite switch to activate it uh, for those who are more comfortable doing that. So there's a couple of op- operational improvements, and um, and I'm also always working on improve. That's why I want to talk to Dave uh, about the. The product itself, the the actual three um, D printing. I, I, I aside. I, I didn't want to, three. Once I had the design, I wanted to hand this off to be professionally uh, produced. You know.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: The the cases and the and the injection
1: molding product. or something, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, um, no. <laughs> got, but not that. I see. <laughs> well, no. I no. I well the pricing. It was, it's um, crazy
1: expensive. I've also looked at injection molding. It's just, it's insane what it takes to make a to make a die.
0: Well, that and even I went to a three D printer. Oh yeah. House, a Couple houses down here, three D printing houses, and I and I got from all of them their their best price that said, "Sir, we don't want to do this." Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I gave them the I gave them the, the design files, broken out. Here's what I need. How many? You know, what's the per unit cost? The per unit cost for case was more than what I'm charging for the entire design. Device.
1: No way!
0: Oh, I swear! I, 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 I actually actually printed it off, did, the paper printed in this case, and yeah. just put it up in my workshop. Is let's like, let's not do this.
1: Man, that's like, that's gotta be that's gotta be somebody who's who invested a lot of money in their three D printer and now they're they're in debt and they're trying to get it back. <laughs>
0: I, I don't know i, I was because that's I was, not
1: cost of materials for sure that's that's n- crazy
0: no no so um, so right now um you know i could i produce a, i can produce the cases for for pennies on the dollar yeah um, versus hundreds of dollars
1: so did, did you end up getting a printer to put in just you just got one in your shop so you can just print them yourself
0: oh yeah i've been doing yeah. that all along that's,
1: I, I that's kind of what I was assuming but then suddenly I thought oh but or did you find like a you know, like a maker lab at a local library or something. Then no, don't no. usually like you leave overnight prints, though. So.
0: <laughs> no, because because these prints are are fairly extensive. I mean, it takes yeah. me about takes me about a, a uh, three or four days to print all the components. I only have one printer. Yeah. Um So that, I mean, that's obviously scalable by multiple printers, but um, the uh, yeah, it takes it takes about a week for me right now to build to build a unit on order. So, yeah. But yeah, I'm, this is—I'm so excited that you're going to be putting this up because just trying to get the word out is really the struggle right now.
1: Well, that's—I'd imagine that that's the thing, right? There, there are people who could use this. Now you got to make them aware of it, right?
0: Correct. Correct. Mm-hmm. Oh, and okay, I know you, we're getting to time, but oh, no, certainly. So, the, so the last thing that's kind of just come up is—I um, my friend David, I said, is being very successful with it. He's so excited. Um, the the Manchester Pipe Band has a Grade Five group, and he's looking to rejoin their competition su- circle.
1: Awesome! Okay. This is this is the bow on the on the story. This is the this is the cherry on top. This is where it all ties together beautifully.
0: Yep. So we just need to kind of work with our local um, the EUS PBA here in the East to uh, get some clarifications on their rulings about. Uh, about using this device in a competition circle.
1: Yeah. So yeah, you
0: know, but the point is, it's like, <laughs> yeah, I've already had it. I've already spoken to a judge who said, "Well, Bruce, what do I do with you if you're in front of me playing this thing? Mm-hmm. You know, because you're not blowing. So what am I judging you on? You know, it, it yes. goes to like it goes to the whole thing about judging. When
1: yeah. you're
0: Playing the instrument, you're judging the total performance. That includes blowing, execution, expression, presentation, steadiness—you know, all of that. Tone, yeah. intonation. So, does this somehow warrant a separate class of competitor, or mm-hmm. is this, you know, something that I don't know? But I'm—I think we're going to be challenging the the rules here shortly
1: totally makes sense but you know I can understand it from both sides of course you know like mm-hmm. you gotta have as even a playing field as possible but then you also don't want to be exclusionary either so and
0: there you go so I think it's gonna be I think inadvertently I think I'm gonna be challenging some of those precepts that we talked about from at the very beginning yeah well and we might
1: we might we might just end right there too but it does just it, it also occurs to me that like this is the same kind of I've, – I've heard people talk about, like, what do you do with a piper in a, in a wheelchair? Because walking, you have these, these percussive incidents when you take a step that might throw off your your steady blowing, and so you're compensating for that. Whereas a wheelchair can be gliding in, so is that giving them an unfair advantage as they march in if somebody's pushing them in a wheelchair? You know, like, <laughs> I, don't I don't know what, what
0: com- that's... I don't know what competition circles you've marched into. But I was going to say that's... Some... pretty horrible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and I was also going to say, like, that's some pretty tight, tight scrutiny on the, the march in, too. You know, like, is there nothing else that could maybe just be a deciding factor, you know, like, while they're playing their set? But, you know, I guess that's more just to say, like, people will scrutinize every little thing they can, for sure.
0: Well, and, and, and I've seen exceptions already, because I, I remember going to... Uh, one of the championship games, and uh, there was a. I think it was a. I can't remember the name of the band, but it was a, an upper-level band. The bass drummer needed to have his drum brought onto the field.
1: Oh, like could... back problems or something.
0: Yeah, whatever. I don't know yeah. what it was, but but he um but he had to, he had to have it put on a stand in the circle so he could mm-hmm. play, and um that was kind of I'd never seen that before, but. You know, I think accommodation is going to be the is going to be and and openness is going to be the watchword going forward here. I don't want to exclude anybody, especially somebody who's put done the work to play, to learn the sets, to to you know do everything yeah. else. It, it seems a little bit unfair to exclude them because they've overcome their their disability.
1: Yeah. I'm with you man. And 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 I don't know, have you have you followed this uh you know the radio program pipeline that, that the BBC has probably taken off the air? Um, yes, I I yeah.
0: I I not catch I, it
1: every week. Yeah, I don't catch it every week either, but 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 I did see a piece that um oh what's his name? Is it Gary West? Is that the host's name? Yeah. He he'd written where he's just he's just was talking about being worried about you know, the longevity of the art form, uh, that kind of thing. And you know, like like People can, you know, th- there's more. There, there are more. There's more to piping than just competition. Of course, you know, like there are other kinds of bagpipes, other styles of play, all kinds of stuff. You know, um, but it does seem to me like, in general, any attitude that that keeps people out doesn't serve the longevity of the art form. You know, it's like you, every every barrier you can remove is good because if it lets more people in that's going to keep it going for longer that's more students that become teachers you know it has residual effects whereas if you if there's a barrier that keeps people out that's one fewer person that would have maybe innovated you know might maybe would have taught a lot of people maybe would have started a new band all that kind of stuff
0: yeah and and everything you've said so far pretty much applies to the world of the great highland bagpipe because if you want to think about it bagpipes go back i mean how far i mm-hmm. mean really in time and you gotta imagine the first guy who came up with a with a tied in stock, you know, mm. in, in Scotland. I mean, that was a huge technological innovation. Mm-hmm. The, you know, bellows, adding bellows and creating an indoor pipe to a, an arm-driven bellows was yeah. another massive, you know, step in a, a step into a new direction. Yeah. And then, and as far as I'm concerned, the next best innovation was was. Uh, Artificial reeds and zippers. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yep.
0: I love zippers. I'm a major fan of zippers.
1: <laughs> Anybody who's <laughs> lost a drone reed in their bag is a pretty quick believer in the zipper. <laughs> <laughs> well, my
0: mother, my mother thanked thanked heaven when I came in with an artificial bag, and um, uh, <laughs> and she was elderly at that point because she said, "Oh, thank God, you're not going to be blowing Robertson seizing up into the ceiling anymore." because oh. I would heat the can over the gas burner because yeah. I can do that I can just warm it and it won't go pop shoot uh. <laughs> but yeah um, yeah I think we have to be open to innovation and I think it, within our world of the, of the Highland bagpipe um, we, we're going to be challenging some of the the set thinking and we're going to have to kind of force everybody to be a little bit more open and whether that means a new category or that means just you know a, a doctor's note that says you're you need to do this accommodation mm-hmm. you know um it who will see where this all lands but uh, right now for now i'm just very happy to have been able to be part of getting at least one man and a small group of people who have bought the product back up and playing their pipes again
1: yeah